transmission encoding completed. Have you often found yourself wondering about the unsolved mysteries and weirdness that surround them all? Now, I'm not saying it's definitely aliens, but it's definitely aliens. You're listening to Three Girls, One Cape. Can you handle the truth? Get into it. Let's do it. Let's get down to business. Yes, and defeat to the talk Huns. about the Huns. Yeah. Did they send us <laughs> daughters when we asked for sons? No, but I brought my vibrator. Well, that will be just as handy to fight the Huns. <laughs> I can almost guarantee yes, it. Yes. It's a it's a very strong strong weapon, powerful weapon. Welcome, Welcome. to this episode of Three Girls, One Cape. I'm your host, Rachel Clovis. I got my sister from another mister, Miss the letter V. Yep. How's it going? And I got my other legitimate sister from the same mister, Miss Mara Rose. Hey, y'all. Y'all. And we're here to get you guys in the mood. You know what's co- right around the corner? Valentine's, Valentine's Day. It's that time for lovers, yeah. you know. Where? And when we think about love, we think about murder. Yes. Yeah, sometimes. Yes. I mean, as South Park Choking made it very clear, other. you know, murder porn does a number of things for um, couples' sex lives. But some people just take it too far. Yes. yes. Definitely. A hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. They can take it too far. And we're going to get into that today. We're going to be talking about some killer couples. Yes, we caliente. Or sorry, muy caliente. caliente. I only took four years of Spanish one, so forgive me. (laughs) That's okay. We're going to be discussing quite a few uh, serial killer couples. Some you may know, Mm -hmm. some you may not. Few of them are going to dive real nice and deep in there for y'all because I know how you guys like it deep. And then some we we might (laughs) just, you know, deeper graze over a little bit. You know, just as a little tease. Yeah, we like to tease you. Yeah, we like to, you know, create a good build-up, you know. It's all about the foreplay, baby. But, you know, this is definitely not something I recommend for people to do in the bedroom. Yeah, I definitely don't uh, recommend killing people to spice up your relation. (laughs) I mean, you'll go to jail. Or that person might just end up getting a little too carried away in the throats of passion and kill you themselves so it result in death and not by orgasm either right yes could be battery acid into your eyes from your nosy room or on your legs right well i'm gonna bring it back to 1963 and to a time period in england oh england about the moors murders Ooh. yes it was uh the killing of five children in England between 1963 and 1965 by the couple Ian Brandy and Myra Hindley. They had a bunch of children that they adopted or, you know, 
collected and gathered from foster homes and juvenile detention centers because of Ian Brady's uh, job in his early years. And uh, when he met Miss Hindley in 1961 he was already he already had a reputation as a bad boy too and uh had dozens of convictions for burglary and assault they fell madly in love with each other you know staying up late all night reading stories about nazi atrocities I mean, like, they were so in love with each other. One of the things that really drove Myra crazy about Ian is um, the way he would drug her and rape her. She really thought that the way he did that just made her more in love with him because he just had to have her so bad that sometimes he even had to sedate her. Right. She probably would have loved Bill Cosby, but <laughs> probably not because she was a Nazi. Um, <clears throat> the, they started off killing 16-year-old Paula Reed in July of 1963 after they raped and beat her, of course. Then um, they, you know, they were dumping the bodies in the moors outside of Manchester. Right. Then they killed John Kilbride in a very similar way. Then they did a 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey. They lured her into their van. And they became routine. It became very routine. Right, yeah. They would say that they lost a glove. And they would lure these children, like you said, from, you know, people who were hanging Mm -hmm. out uh, or like kids hanging out of like uh you know whatever uh, juvenile delinquencies or like from the market even you know i need you to help me find this and this is when they um yeah and this is when this is when they started audio recording their murders right they were i mean these were real homicidal lunatics but then they took things way 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 too far in 1965, October, they brought a 17-year-old home, uh, Edward Evans. Um, he picked him up at a train station, and they beat him to death with a shovel in front of his 17-year-old brother-in-law, David Smith. And then uh, David Smith ended up helping them dispose of the body. But when he went home, he went and told his wife... Because he couldn't handle it. He's like, I really don't know what I just did. Right. He's like, and then he went to the police. Um, so, of course, they expressed remorse after getting their life sentences. And Myra blamed it all on Ian. Right. But she told the courts that she also regarded herself worse than her partner in crime since she did more of the 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 majority of the enticing right but they never asked for parole they never sought out uh release to, like to a mental hospital at all and myra died of pneumonia in 2002 at the age of 60 i think ian killed himself i'm pretty sure but i can't remember actually yeah i don't exactly remember but they were some six fucks. Yeah, ro- right, know, exactly. Six, Ron and Hell. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, 
And then we go into the uh, seven, uh, 1978. You got a Sacramento couple, Gerald, Gerald and Charlene Gallagher. Mm -hmm. They were ranked as some of the uh, deadliest serial couples. They murdered at least 10 young people and usually did two at a time. They would go to the mall areas looking for teenage girls and they would promise them free weed. They'd be like, "Yo, you want you want some you want yeah. some joints?" They'd be like, "Yo, you want this dime back? We you can take it for free instead of candy." They were like, "Yo, we got that good. We got that good good." People do anything for a little bit of that good good. Yeah, and then they would um, load them into a cargo area, bind them out, uh, ride them to out to the country. Side and where they would rape them, beat them, and murder them, and then uh, dump their bodies in scattered locations from the Sierras to the Nevada desert. Right. Yeah, that's um, that's another one there. Uh, the another one is um, for some recent news. Uh, there was a young Texas couple that basically nicknamed themselves. Like a new age Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh Antoinette Martinez and Kimio Kleins. Hmm. They went on two separate murders. Uh, um Kimio was shot in a robbery gone wrong in uh 2014. There were two young men that had been murdered only days apart and both victims were of his uh hispanic men who had been bound with brown packing tape and shot in the head with the small caliber handguns and then their bodies were found three miles of each other but they didn't figure out until they captured clients and that's when they realized that they were the suspects that they were looking for for the two brutal uh, executions and um this happened back in like a uh, 2000 oh really yeah and so not too long ago yeah. at all mm -hmm. yeah yeah not too long ago uh, they were uh, they were young people too they would invite people over she would basically pull them in make them think that she was gonna have sex with them and then when she got them into the bedroom, Kleins would uh, surprise them with his oh. gun. And I'm not talking about his dick. Like, I'm talking about an actual gun. He would fucking pistol whip them in the head. And then they would tie him up and torture him and, like, uh, rob them and then flat out just kill them. Yeah, I mean, and, that's But they weren't even, like, it wasn't like they were getting a lot of money out of this. So, like, you know, like, these two, it's kind of just like, they were doing it for rent money. Right. They were stealing people for, they were doing this to people for rent money. And they, uh, you can even find more information about this couple. They were on an episode of uh, Oxygen's Killer Couples. Ooh, I always love me the Oxygen um, channel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you can find that more information about that dynamic duo with them. Um 
And then you got uh you got Teresa Lewis, Matthew Schallenberger. And you anybody know this story? No, I think this I one's do a not. new one to me. Teresa Lewis is a Virginian woman who convinced Matthew Schellenberger, who is a 21-year-old man at the time, who was heavily influenced by her charms. And she convinced him to shoot her husband and stepson. Oh, that's sad. And, And, yep. Yep, she said she got him to do it out of love. This was back in 2002 in Danville, Virginia. Damn. I mean, people do do crazy things for love. Obviously, we'll talk about that a little bit Mm -hmm. more definitely throughout Mm -hmm. this episode. Yeah. She had called the police on October 30th in 2002 and said that her husband and stepson had been uh, shot to death by an armed home intruder. You know, um, so when the police arrived, uh, they found her son, uh, her stepson, C.J. Lewis, and her husband, Julian Lewis. Um, Like, C.J. was already dead, but Julian was barely alive. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, C.J. was only 25s, and he was shot up with multiple gunshot wounds and had been struck in the chest, abdomen, back, face, and neck, while her husband had sustained multiple shots to the abdomen. Um, By the time the paramedics got there, he had already died. Oh. Um, uh, But then there were... With uh, recent burglaries that were happening in the area, um, they thought maybe they were the connected. father and son had been killed in a robbery gone wrong. But then um, when they dug deeper into the wife's account of the shooting, things started just not seeming to be sounding right, like, you know, talking about how she woke up and there was somebody standing at the end of the bed, but she didn't get a clear look of him, and blah, blah, blah. And they said that um, while she was recalling, she was oddly calm, which uh, made the investigators very suspicious. And then when the autopsy reports that just didn't match up, the stories didn't really make up. Right. Um, the and especially because of the timing of CJ's death, and they said that CJ died probably around three fifteen a.m. Mm-hmm. But Teresa didn't call nine one one until almost four a.m. Yeah. So, so there's a little, um, lot of time in between there. Obviously, if somebody's yeah. shot in your home, even if they're... It's like there was like 45 minutes a, before a you even got down to like what you were saying happened. Right. Yeah. You know, there was uh, there was also money involved. 
she tried to cash a $50,000 check that at the bank, but they noticed that the signature was not a match to Julian, so the bank refused to cash it. And she caused a scene, so they started suspecting whatever she was trying to do, you know? Right. Um, you know, so they did a polygraph and blah, 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 blah. And... She said that she knew who the killer was, you know, so that, you know, they started questioning her and then she's like, you know, I know who he is, but I can't remember his name. And then, um, then that's when, uh, Matthew came into the picture, Matthew Schallenberger, who was just a young man that she befriended several weeks earlier after meeting him in the checkout line at, a, at the grocery store. She gave him his her number, you know, and, you know, a chance encounter turned into a regular sexual relationship, and she had this passionate affair with him that ended up making her say that the only way out of her failing marriage was for him to kill her husband. Damn. And she got right she to the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She basically just convinces this guy, like, I mean, I'm looking at this woman. I mean, hey, to each their own, you know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she had one hell of a head game. You right. Know? True. Pussy must have been magical or something. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but like, I don't understand, you know. I was going to say. Definitely one of the women that we're going to talk about in a future episode. She mm -hmm. was supposed to be built like an ox, but men, for some reason, just loved her, man. It's something about the tiny feet, I think. That's what it was. <laughs> and then another couple was this mission couple. And this happened... Uh, this actually happened back in 97. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean... Yep. Yeah, it's not that not that long ago, but it feels like yesterday. Um, <laughs> uh, this one was I thought that I thought this was really interesting, mostly because they almost got away with it. Like this woman almost got away with killing her husband, mm -hmm. but when she was telling her new lover confessing to her new lover how she got rid of her husband her roommate heard all about it that's why you don't have you live by yourself and have roommates <laughs> yep and that's why carol giles and tim collier ended up murdering her friend and roommate nancy billiter uh after she overheard them discussing how Carol had murdered her husband. I mean, that's a little risky for her to mur murder her roommate after her. She just murdered her husband. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> they did it together, and this was just brutal. This yeah. was, like, unnecessarily brutal. Like, I mean, 
all these murders that we're talking about are sick and crazy. Like, I mean, I've never heard about them killing them gently or killing them softly with no fucking song. No, these motherfuckers did it with battery acid and bleach. All right. Like, they tortured this woman before they fucking killed her. They, like, bound her up. They injected battery acid into her fucking eyeballs. And then gagged her with a cloth that was soaked in bleach. The woman's body was discovered uh, by this group of fishermen that were out on the Flint River. And they spotted a, like a pile of blankets and when they looked under it there was nancy Bilter, like bruised bloodied and you know this poor woman like was completely tortured like you know they did horrific things like i i just don't understand why they had to take it that far yeah no you know Same. It's like, I don't understand, like, if you were so concerned, like, you know, it's like, why wouldn't you just get it done? You, like, th- that that's the thing about these two. It's like, it's like they got off on it. It was like it was sexual kicks for them because they did, they, like, the examination, there was just a number of, like, chemical and electrical burns. Like, these people straight up tortured this poor woman. Yeah. And then, like, looking into this, and when they saw this happen, like, you know, because she, she initially, like, when they found the body and they, like, you know, they confronted her because they all lived together. And they asked her what happened. She immediately ratted out her boyfriend and said, he's a drug user and he beat her in front of me. He beat her to death. I watched her do th- do this. He did it right in front of me. And then he said that, like, if I told anybody, he was going to do the same thing to me. So that's why she never said anything. Right? Right. Well, then they got in touch with him because, like, they brought her, they put her in protective custody because she said he was going to go lay low for a while you know right and but they found him at the house you know just hanging out when they brought him in they said he said that she did so then because of how their stories were both like he sheds like he said she said shit um it made them contact her ex-husband's oldest daughter from a previous marriage. What? And it made them suspicious because her husband was recently deceased. You know, and it seems like these two had a tumultuous affair and they got a, a dead roommate on their hands who was brutally murdered. So it made them wonder exactly what happened. Only because an officer recalled concerns of the oldest daughter who said, man, that's really strange that my father just died like that because I just went to the doctors with him for an appointment and they said how healthy he was, but somehow he just dropped dead and they presumed it was a heart attack because he was obese and had a heart condition and um was diabetic right 
So they had to contact the daughter for permission to exhume the body. And as they looked into it further, turns out that he was actually injected with a lethal dose of heroin. Well, it's good that they decided that they wanted to look into it, obviously. Yep. Which then you found out in turn that that is something that was schemed between Carol Giles and Tim Collier, who provided Mm -hmm. her with the heroin to kill her husband because she was tired of taking care of him. That's pretty much what came down to that. Yeah. So, you know, that's just to name a few couples, you know, that we have there. Um, but I know that we got some other ones to talk about here. Let's, uh, let's get into those. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Vanessa. That was a very nice platter that you served our audience. Yeah. You know, I like little appetizers, you know, little Little smorgasbord yeah, there. Got, he got a little sampler there yeah. to stop them out with. So with that, I am going to be discussing the Ken and Barbie killers. Otherwise, Ooh. Paul Bernardo and Carla. Hey, I cannot pronounce her last name, so I will just go with Hotchkiss. <laughs> Carla Hotchkiss. So when the pair initially met in Toronto... Um, Paul was 23 and Carla was 17. So already, like, you know, like, to, like, weird. Red flags, red flags. Red flags. FBI open up. <laughs> <laughs> These Canadians aren't so nice. Yes. And then, um, so they instantly connected and they were attracted to each other. And uh, Paul would get to know uh, Carla's family quickly and he formed a sort of a relationship <laughs> with her younger sister Tammy. So Tammy is about about 5 or so years younger than Carla is. And so whenever um Paul would come over, he would flirt with Tammy and do a bunch of other weird behavior as well. Like he would creep on her and he'd like pleasure himself while he watched her sleep, that type of stuff. Uh, yeah, red flag. Oh, yeah, romantic shit, yeah. Oh, yeah, but then the thing is, is the sister that, like, she would, like, indulge, uh, she would indulge him, and she kind of, like, encouraged this behavior, and he also had these uh, twisted fantasies, very dark, um, I forgot to mention earlier, but he had a previous history of rapes, like, he... Or reportedly raped over dozens of women. It's wicked insane. And but she mm. and then like I said, she still indulged him and apparently uh Brett Easton Ellis's novel American Psycho was his quote unquote Bible. So that kind of just tells you what type of person um Paul was. And right. I mean Carla's no better herself, obviously. She's like, Yeah, yeah, be gross, be gross, do this with my sister. And so, in July of 1990, he and Tammy had uh, went across the border to get liquor for a party, and then they started getting even more rom- kind of not I wouldn't know, say romantically involved, but like they're getting more intimate. And then within that same uh, summer, uh, Carla had laced Tammy's food with crushed Valium, 
And after she was unconscious, uh, Paul raped her for the first time. And then um, by Christmas, Tammy wanted, uh, not Tammy, I apologize. Carla wanted to do something nice because she knew that Paul was um, disappointed that he wasn't her first lover. So she promised Paul uh, Tammy's virginity. Paul Tammy's virginity. And so, uh, so on that, it was a couple of days before Christmas, they served her a rum and eggnog cocktail that was mixed in with sleeping pills. And, of course, you know, she goes out like a light. You know, they take her away. Um, and Paul, uh, so sorry. And so um, they bind her. Um, they spend hours of just abusing her and having sets with her. And then, you know, they kind of take a break, cool down a bit, you know. And so at this point, she's bind, she's bounded. And then uh, over the night, she had a on her own puke and died and so they discovered that the next morning and um yeah and the crazy thing is um despite tammy's you know battered body and like you know the rape that happened um they were able to get away scot-free they the autopsy turned out to be way overlooked so um, they were lucky on that end, but then that was, but they didn't stop there. They would continue to commit these murders and rapes. They'd go after, uh, they went after a couple other younger women. Anyway, so these two teenagers, Kristen French, who was 15, and Lizzie Mahaffey, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, she was 14, I'm sorry I butchered your last name, um, they would be their next victims. And similarity, similarly, they raped them and they just, like, abused them. And another important detail I forgot to mention is that along with Tammy's murder and rape, uh, or I mean, I meant rape, um, they also videotaped um, Kristen and Leslie as they were doing all those um, <coughs> despicable things with them. And then... Um, Besides this, um, Paul was also raping other women on the side. So, you know, like, he he wasn't stopping. He It was just... Right, like, on. he had, a, like, a like a very, yes. like, devious, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, so fucked up. And then uh, it didn't really come to a head until uh, 19... Uh, in 1991, where... Uh, Sorry, Paul began um, beating Tam, uh, sorry, oh my god, began beating Carla, and Carla was not standing for this, and by this point, the police had gathered so much of Paul's DNA from, like, the attempted rapes and the, and whatnot that. And, like, the actual rapes, yeah. Yeah, and the actual rapes, and then that they were able to connect the murders, and so they made a deal with Carla that she would uh, give a testimony and... So that they would be able to um, pin the murder, well, that they'd be able to kind of like pin the murders on Paul and, and have a connection to the murders. And so, following a trial, Paul gets sentenced to life in prison, and then Tammy also uh, was sent to prison for over ten years. Oh my God, I said Tammy again. I'm so sorry. I meant to say Carla. So sorry, guys. So Carla got sent away to prison for, oh, I'm, I'm really bad, sorry, for over 10 years. But then she got released in 2005 and 
She has since um, gotten remarried. She has three children. And just the, it just the weird and kind of diabolical thing about Carla was, I mean, Paul was already, like, obviously fucking despicable and sinister, but I think she even more so, like, kind of displayed those traits, but I feel like she was more sly about it. Right. Just considering, <laughs> like, um, so when she gave her testimony, um, uh, when they compared that with what was found on the tapes they found that she was more involved than what she said she was well yeah that was the whole thing when she made the um like deal with the prosecution they didn't know like because they hadn't watched the tapes yet so then later when they find the tapes they're like holy fucking shit she like did all of this stuff to these Mm -hmm. people along with Paul Bernardo. And her fucking sister. Yeah, and it's fucking disgusting. It it's really is. It's wicked gross. <clears throat> and so she pretty much, um, I mean, she's been sort of, not entirely, but she's been, um, you know, she's obviously been released. She's been sort of kind of forgived, or at least kind of like in the public eye, like not as scrutinized, but um, yeah, she definitely, you know, she definitely should have been in jail for longer than what she was. And then Paul is still in jail. He was up for parole in 2018, but he was denied, so he's still in prison. Well, that's good. That's where he fucking belongs. I concur. Because, obviously, he has a problem just, like, you know, not raping people by himself. I know, I was like, jeez. And, yeah, that's that's the tale of the Ken and Barbie killers, you know? A beautiful yeah. couple with an ugly life. Then not such not such nice Canadians, eh? Definitely not. Yeah. I was like, this is the meanest I'm kidding. The meanest Canadians I've ever met people be like, Why? there's way worse Canadians. <laughs> I was actually just gonna say that I know actually of like one uh yeah. worst Canadian. Who is that? He was a cult leader. And mm. just, I we won't talk about his specific name because I would love to do an episode about it because he was very, very terrible. But just a little. So he ended up killing one of his wives and then later oh. digs up her body and then just masturbates over Jesus. it. And then <gasps> he eventually goes to cremate her body and, and he cream. takes, takes one of really the bad. ribs and wraps it in leather and wears it around his neck because that was his favorite sick. wife that he killed. Her name was Rachel. It's fucking sick. Are you, are you serious? Yeah. Oh. Serious. Okay. Oh my fucking God. Well, on that <laughs> note... <laughs> Right? (laughs) Jesus Christ. So next, I think we're going to talk about the most infamous killer couple, at least when I think of killer couples, this is who I think of, Um, Mm -hmm. Bonnie and Clyde. They also pop in my mind think of killer couples. So I think definitely the penchant. Right. It's like they're the most famous killer couples, I feel like, in America, at least. Maybe in the whole world. All right. When you think of killer couples, no other couple is more infamous than Bonnie and Clyde, whose short-lived career as the Barrows game left an everlasting mark on the pop culture of America. 
Bonnie and Clyde were two young kids in love who would do anything for each other, and up until the time of their deaths, they remained in love. This modern-day Romeo and Juliet-like tale was completely captured by the press and news outlet that made Bonnie and Clyde out to be well-liked criminals up until a crucial mistake was made and the tides turned for them. This is the less romanticized tale of the America's most famous killer couple, Bonnie and Clyde. Starting from humble beginnings, Clyde grew up in Texas on a farm and his family did struggle to make ends meet, which many people attribute to him starting out with petty theft at a young age. His mother said he was a very good boy until his older brother Buck started acting out because of his mother's over-controlling ways, and soon Clyde was following in his brother's footsteps. Bonnie was also born in Texas, and when she was just four years old, her father died, and her mother moved to Summit City, an impoverished suburb of Dallas. There they lived with her grandparents, and Bonnie was known to be a bright girl who had an interest in poetry, literature, and even theater. Bonnie was known for wanting to be famous one way or another, and at a young age, she was married to Roy Thornton which she did remain married to him until the time of her death. Clyde had served his first long sentence at the age of 20 in a Texas state prison, which was at the time was one of the most uh, infamous state prisons uh, known for like the abuse that was happening there. This is believed where he was responsible for the first death, another death of an inmate, who sexually assaulted Clyde. Many of his friends said they saw a change in him, one friend even stating, that's when that boy, he went from a schoolboy to a rattlesnake. Bonnie and Clyde met in January 1930, and at the time, Bonnie was 19 and Clyde was 21. Soon after, he was arrested for burglary and sent to jail. He did escape thanks to Bonnie and a gun that she had smuggled in, but he was recaptured and sent back to prison until he was paroled in February 1932. While serving this 14-year sentence in Texas for the robbery and automobile theft in January 1932, Clyde decided he could no longer endure the unforgiving work in brutal conditions and notoriously tough East Ham Prison Farm. In the hopes of facing a transfer to a less harsh facility, Clyde severed his left big toe and a portion of another toe with an axe. Although it is not known whether he or another prisoner wielded the sharp instrument, the self-mutilation permanently crippled his walking stride and prevented him from wearing shoes while driving ultimately proved unnecessary as he was released on parole six days later. Can you fucking imagine that? Like, you chop off fucking two right? of your toes, and then six days later, they were like, we were going to release you on parole anyways. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. When Clyde was released, the crime spree started for the young couple. Later in 1932, Bonnie and Clyde began traveling with Raymond Hamilton, a young gunman. Hamilton left them several months later and was replaced by William Daniel Jones, or W.D. Jones, in 1932. 
Buck Barrow, brother of Clyde, was released from the Texas state prison on March 23, 1933, having been granted a full pardon by the governor. He quickly joined Clyde, bringing his wife, Blanche. So the group now numbered five people. This game embarked upon a series of bold robberies, which made headlines across the county. They escaped capture in various encounters with the law. However, their activities made law enforcement efforts to apprehend them even more intense. On the night of June 10th, 1933, Clyde, with Bonnie in the passenger seat, was speeding along the rural... I knew this was going to be it. Rural (laughs) roads of North Texas so quickly that he missed a detour sign warning of a bridge under construction... The duo's Ford V8 smashed through a barricade at 70 miles an hour and sailed through the air before landing in a dry riverbed. Scalding battery acid poured out of the car's battery and severely burned Bonnie's right leg, eating away at the flesh down to the bone in some places. And just as... Oh my God. If you haven't seen Bonnie, like pictures of her... She is already very thin. And then this is too when they're literally actively running from the law. So like they're barely eating, you know, they're like going days without showering. They can't stay very many places. Um, They don't really have, you know, they have to always keep on the go. So they're like not living their best life right now. Yeah, I'd say so. Blah, blah, blah. As a result of the third degree burns, Bonnie, like Clyde, walked with a pronounced limp for the rest of her life. And she had such difficulty walking that at times she hopped or needed Clyde to carry her. During the shootout with police in Iowa on July 29, 1933, Buck Barrow was fa- uh, fatally shot and Blanche was captured. Jones, who was frequently mistaken for Pretty Boy Floyd, was captured in November 1933 in Houston by the sheriff's office. Bonnie and Clyde went on together. And this is a quote from W.E. Floyd, who was Pretty Boy Floyd's brother, younger brother. Um, And he said that uh, he took many stories to his grave when he died in 1970 but this was one of the ones that had surfaced about his uh, encounter with Clyde and Bonnie and it says we had gotten word that Cooks Hill was not to harbor the Texas duo but the family was known to never turn down someone in need even if it was Bonnie and Clyde which is ironic because obviously during this whole time, this is like kind of like the height of public enemy. So like pretty boy Floyd, um, you know, I can't think of anything else because I'm too stoned, but anyways, you know, (laughs) like it, that they're looking for like big time criminals. And the thing was that, um, baby face Nelson, uh, there you go. There's another one. Um, but, at this time, they, like, they weren't criminals. They were literally robbing yeah. mom and pop shops. Like, they were barely, you know, they didn't really rob very many banks. And 
that at this time they those pictures had already come out like at this time like they're pretty much like uh looked down upon as far as like being like actual like outlaws and like a lot of times like Dillinger and uh Pretty Boy Floyd they would all share these hideouts and like host each other and something had happened with an encounter with Pretty Boy Floyd and Clyde and he pretty much was like nobody put these people up like don't help them like (laughs) so um but his family ended up taking them in anyways and the wife of the brother of Pretty Boy Floyd her name was Beulah and she actually helped Bonnie um, somewhat recover from the burn wounds on her legs that, like I said, the battery, hot battery acid, you know, right to the bone. Um, they had actually given them a jacket, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later. But on November 22nd, 1933, a trap was set by the Dallas, Texas sheriff and his deputies in an attempt to capture Bonnie and Clyde near the Grand Prix, Texas. But the couple escaped the officer's gunfire. They held up an attorney on the highway and took his car, which they abandoned in Miami, Oklahoma, on December uh, 21st, 1933. Bonnie and Clyde held up and robbed a citizen at Shreveport, Louisiana on that night. And then on January 16th, 1935, or sorry, 34. Five prisoners, including Raymond Hamilton, who was serving sentences totaling more than 200 years, were liberated from the East Ham State Prison Farm in Texas by Clark Barrow, accompanied by Bonnie Parker. Two guards were shot by the escaping prisoners with automatic pistols, which had been previously concealed in a ditch by Barrow. As the prisoners ran, Barrow covered their retreat with bursts of machine gun fire. Among the escaped was Henry Methavin of Louisiana. On April 1st, 1934, Bonnie and Clyde encountered two young highway patrolmen near Grapevine, Texas. Before the officers could draw their guns, they were shot. And this is one of the encounters where um, it's said that uh because a lot of times people are like oh bonnie never fired like she was just kind of like along for the ride but Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people don't realize that she was there for the lifestyle like she wanted this and especially once those pictures came out of them like the infamous pictures that they found um when they had made the big getaway and that we're going to talk about they like left a bunch of stuff just because they had come up on them and thought that it was actually a um what's that thing moonshining operation so they were going to bust mm-hmm. them and it actually mm-hmm. turned out that it was fucking bonnie and clyde that were hiding out there so this is the kind of murder of these two young highway patrolmen that kind of turned the public's opinion in on Bonnie and Clyde because now they're just killing people that they don't need to be killing because before they were not really killing too many people but they also were like taking people for hostage and then like giving them money to get back to town or you know what I mean like they weren't being absolute savages but at this point they kind of are in that desperation mode like Bonnie can barely walk Clyde can barely walk The two are, like, just traveling, like, from place to place to place 
you know, trying to evade the police. Um, on April 6, 1934, a constable in Miami, Oklahoma, fell mortally wounded by Bonnie and Clyde, who also abducted a police chief whom they wounded. The FBI had jurisdiction solely on the charge of transporting a stolen automobile, although the activities of the borough agents were vigorous and careless, or sorry, ceaseless. Every clue was followed, warrants, notices, uh, they were fingering, using fingerprints, photographs, descriptions, what criminal records and other data were distributed for all the officers. The agents allowed the trail through many states into various haunts of the Barrows game, particularly Louisiana. The association with Henry Methan and the Methan family of Louisiana was uh, discovered by FBI agents, and they found out that Bonnie and Clyde have been driving a stolen car in New Orleans. On April 13, 1934, an FBI agent, through investigation in the vicinity of Rooston, Louisiana, obtained information which definitively placed Bonnie and Clyde in a remote section of the southwest of that community. The home of the Methans was not far away, and the agent learned of visits there by Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, special agents in Texas had learned that Clyde and his companion had been traveling from Texas to Louisiana sometime, but, uh, accompanied by Henry Methan. So this is where they kind of start setting it up. They're like, all right, we fucking, we're going to get them this time We're they're not going to, they're not going <laughs> to get, they're not going to get away from us. And they even go one of the uh, people that is on like this special task force that is just like pretty much made to catch Bonnie and Clyde. They're like, we need fucking fat firepower because the reason why Bonnie and Clyde are so successful is because they have fucking fast cars. They fucking love to fuck and <laughs> they have fucking like machine guns. Like they have the firepower. So worst case scenario, if they get into a backed into a corner, they're just going to fucking blast their way out. So the cops like have not been able to match, you know, this firepower at all. So they, uh, ask like these armed forces or the national guard for like pretty much a machine gun. So the, now the cops, their dicks are so fucking hard because they have a fucking machine gun. (laughs) They're like, we're going to fuck people up with this. <laughs> so the local oh, FBI yeah. and law enforcement authorities in Louisiana and Texas uh, concentrated on apprehending Bonnie and Clyde, whom they strongly believed to be in the area. It was learned uh, that Bonnie and Clyde and the Melvins had staged a party at Black Lake, Louisiana on the night of May 21st. 1934 and were due to return in the area two days later so before dawn on may 23rd 1934 a posse composed of police officers from louisiana and texas including fucking texas motherfucking ranger frank motherfucking hammer concealed themselves in the bushes along the highway in this town of Silese, louisiana so, setting the scene, they have this guy. I can't remember what his name is, but he's one of the Melthans. They're like, yo, set up your truck. Make it look like 
you know, you're broken down because they need Bonnie and Clyde to go slow because even if they, because if they're driving really fast down the road, I mean, it's not going to matter if you fucking fire a machine gun at them. You know what I mean? Like they still could get away. So they need them to slow down. So they have him, you know, pop his fucking truck up on a thing so it looks like he's changed a tire so that they'll slow down and then they're fucking hiding in the fucking woods they're like did you take a shit because you really can't blow this right now <laughs> so they're fucking chain smoking cigarettes for fucking hours <laughs> and on that day all right early in the daylight bonnie and clyde appeared in an automobile And when they had attempted to drive away, the police officers opened fire. Bonnie and Clyde were killed instantly. There was some ridiculous amount of bullets. Oh, yeah. Like, a hundred and something that, like, get blasted through. They did not let up. Yeah, it was like, like, (laughs) seriously, they really did not let up. They were like, we're fucking killing these people today. And, but they, they did. And they made Bonnie and Clyde Swiss cheese. Essentially. Right. So, you know, and the crazy part about this is, is like, you know, so they kill Bonnie and Clyde. They're fucking dead. Like fucking shattered. Like just in pieces. And then they fucking hook it up to a truck and they're like, let's bring it into town. All the people want to see (laughs) Bonnie and Clyde. So they fucking bring this, like, oh, my God, yeah. They just bring fucking this, like, the car through town and fucking, there they are with their fucking. impromptu parade. Yeah, really. And they have the fucking, like, machine gun. They're like, (laughs) fuck, yeah, touch my big dick. Look at this fucking. (laughs) They were very proud that they had gotten Bonnie and Clyde. And people actually were like trying to like rip off pieces of their bodies or like their clothing and stuff like that. So they could have some type of like mementos uh, of Bonnie and Clyde. And then to the day um, on the day she died, Bonnie was actually wearing the wedding ring that she had gotten from her husband, Roy. And I'm pretty sure he was in prison for like 20 years. So I'm guessing he still was in prison when that happened. And then, to finish it off, although linked in life, Bonnie and Clyde were split in death. While the pair wished to be buried side by side, Bonnie's mother, who had disapproved of their relationship with Clyde and was a spiteful bitch, had decided her brother, uh, her daughter would be buried in a separate uh, Dallas cemetery. Clyde was buried next to his brother, Marvin, underneath a gravestone with his hand pick epitaph what is that is that what it is epith gone but not forgotten and that's where he lies to this day i'm really surprised though after all these years and with their legacy that nobody had ever tried to put their bodies together some way right I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, like, you know, just because, you know, some people become such fanatical fans that I'm really surprised somebody's like, you know what? Let's go dig up their bodies and put them together. Yeah, that's what they would have wanted. That's what they wanted. 
Get up, Bonnie and Clyde. Well, I mean, you know, they were madly in love, and I think that just goes to prove, you know, what, you know, what you'll do for somebody that you're in love with. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, they'll, they'll do anything for love, but. I I mean, there's literally, they would literally would do anything for love. Like, there's not a single thing that they would be like, but I won't do that. They're like, no, I will do that. Yeah, that's what it's actually. I'll do anything for love and I will do that. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I agree. Exactly. That's exactly that one there. It almost, uh, it makes me think of another Notorious couple, uh, young love couple, you know, uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with the film, um, that starred, uh, Juliette Lewis. Natural Born Killers. Robert Downey Jr., yeah, and Woody Harrelson. Don't forget, Tommy Lee Jones was in that, too. Oh, yeah, Tommy. Right. Yeah, I you know that Mantinandafol film. Yeah, that was um, that was inspired by the acts of Charles Starkweather and Carly Ann Fugate. Oh. Mhm. Mhm. Two Midwestern teen lovers. Okay, that, you know, have pretty traumatic upbringings, even though, really, Carly was literally a child. She was 13 years old when all of this happened, and the two of them basically went on a statewide killing spree in Nebraska. Several references to these guys. I I mean, I'm sorry, I have to cut you off. We didn't... Really quickly, but this is why I always talk about after school activities. This is what our (laughs) tax money needs to go to. So things like this don't happen after school activities. Go ahead. Sorry. Because otherwise you get situations like these two. So uh, I guess I'll start off. By explaining how this couple kind of met, like, both of their backgrounds here. Okay. You know, let me, uh, let me start off with Charles, okay? He was, uh, born on November 24th in 1938. Grew up, like, I guess he had some kind of, like, a, a deformity in some way, a birth defect uh for in his legs mm-hmm. he made his feet tur- like or his knees turn inward uh, so he was teased a lot when he was growing up until he got into high school and then he did drop out his senior year because he was like fuck this you know after he started basically he he was bullied and then he became the bully right and then he was like fuck y'all i'ma leave school i'ma do my thing and he was also, just never really known as the brightest bulb, I'd say. But, like, it's interesting because, uh, you know, people that grew up with him said that he had 
such duality to his personality that, you know, it's pretty crazy. He'd be the kindest person you'd ever seen and would do anything for you, but he was mean as hell. Right. Then he met Kali Ann Fugate, which I'm not exactly sure if I'm saying her name correctly or not. But she's also known as the youngest female in the United States history to date to have ever been tried for first degree murder. Because she was only 14 years old. Well, I'm sure she's not proud of that. (laughs) And she was convicted as his accomplice and sentenced to life in prison, but she got parole after seven years. But, uh, and they both grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. She was introduced to him, her sister, Barbara, who was dating his friend, Bobby. You know, like the two of them just fell madly in love with each other. Her family were not very fond of him because he had such a bad reputation but i guess that's also kind of where the tale began because he uh he killed her whole entire family like they didn't like her at all his own family wasn't fond of her either in uh 1958 january 21st he went to her house he was waiting for her he fatally shot like her family like he did terrible things to the entire family he killed her mother he killed her father he even killed her two-year-old sister betty horrible and hid their bodies in various areas of the house actually you know like uh it's pretty fucked it's wicked fucked they basically like he stuffed their bodies they disposed of their bodies um, in the chicken coop. The father, like the stepdad was in the chicken coop. They put the mother in the outhouse. And then they stashed her sister in a cardboard box. Oh. Behind the outhouse. Yes. It was a toddler. Oh. Baby. Terrible. Like, yeah. But ever since then... Ever since that, they just went off together on a spree. Now, mind you, this girl's only 13 years old, and he's 19 at this time. Yeah. Fucking gross. And they just go off on a murder spree all throughout Nebraska. As a matter of fact, like, they, I believe they killed over 11 people. Damn, yeah, that's a lot of people. You know, including, including the parent. One was a gas in, gas station attendant. Well, he did that on his own. That was actually his first ever murder that he committed. He just, uh, he killed this gas station attendant, Robert Colvert, and then her, her family. The family friend, August Meyer, who was suspecting that there was something strange going on. That's the first one they did together. That was their first killing as a couple. Then they killed a couple together. uh, Robert Jensen and Carol King. They killed the two of them. They killed uh, C. Laura Ward. They also killed Clara Ward. Lillian Fenchie, who was uh, Clara Ward's maid. 
and traveling salesmen. They also usually kill any, if the families had pets, they would kill them as well. They, they were just like, oh yeah, let's do it. You know? Fucking awful. I mean, if you're um, going to do it, I'm just kidding. Jesus. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, might as well, but. You gotta come yeah, to like it. that was like, you know, but like, you know, the killings of, of her family was like the start. And then they, they hit the road and just kept going one after another, after another until like, of course, uh, Meryl. Collison was their last murder. That's when they were chased by police with a roadblock and a gunfight and everything. Pretty badass. Yeah. Well, obviously, like, not... I mean, obviously, I'm talking about, like, the gunfight, yeah. but they're not badass. Well, of course. So then when the trial began, right... When um everything started with their trial... Carly acted like if she was never a part of it, you know, which, of course, Charles said that she actively was a part of it right alongside with him and uh, just as active as he right. was, you know. But, of course, she um, she said that she she was kidnapped. Oh, that's what she immediately started telling police, too, when they were captured and everything. She was like, ah, he kidnapped me. She's like, I didn't know that my parents were dead. And then when I discovered their bodies, you know, like, I didn't help them put them away. When I found their bodies, I, you know, I, uh, I was like, oh, my God. And then he's like, you come with me now. You yeah. Know? That's what, that's what she was basically saying, even though he's like, oh, no, like, we, we put them away together. She came home, and I was like, yeah, check this out. Yeah, I brought you uh, some presents. Like they were basically playing it off with each other. And, you know, then there was this thing that he said that if he didn't go with her, like, there was another story where she said that, you know, if he didn't go with her, he was holding, that he said he was holding her family hostage, and, you know, that he had to come with her, otherwise he was going to kill her whole entire family. And, you know, and they started, like, you know, they, of course, convicted her because they said with the way that they were going around on this killing spree, they're like, you had multiple opportunities where you could have just right. left. So they didn't buy her story. You know, however, they did hit him with the death penalty. So, like, he was, he was done right. for. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, uh, they gave him the chair. The good old-fashioned um, chair. Yep. She was not sentenced to death, but she was convicted. She was released from prison in 1976 after serving 17 years and uh only 17 yeah yeah well yeah only 17 I mean, she's years only like she's less than 40 um, yeah well she was 13 you know so <laughs> when all of this happened she continued on saying that she was completely innocent um but they didn't believe that after a while 
And uh, just, you know, her, uh, she got married, like she got married, went on, had a normal life. You know, she did all kinds of interviews. She had portrayal in the media and everything. And and when she tried to get requests for a pardon to uh, for everything, um, it was immediately denied. Well, that's good. So she was never absolved of her crimes. Right. Ever. That happened, so... But she just never got the chair. Yeah, so yeah, he was he was given the chair. He was put to death for everything. And I believe he was executed. Oh, he was killed on June 25th in 1959 at um, age 20. Yep. Short life. And they did all of those killings. Like, they went on that spree and, like, traveling across the state of Nebraska um, in the span of 60 days. Yeah, I was going to say it was. They killed 11 people in. Two yeah, months. I was going to say, I remember it being, like, not, like, super close together, but, like, pretty close. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, it wasn't over. Like- yeah, it's like they, like, that's, I mean, it's like, that's, that's a decent amount of right. people. Well, and it just okay. makes it even In harder for months. the kind of, like, she was kidnapped thing. Because, obviously, like, in, you know, three months or two months, like, you would figure you would have, like, s- some yeah. opportunity to flag somebody down or, you know what I mean? Because, obviously, they have to be staying, like, at least in a car or, like, you know, someplace. And... Well, and it's, like, some of the people that they killed, like... They were taking other people's vehicles. Right. You know, it's like like the, the young couple that they killed. They stole their car. Oh, after. okay. It's like they took their car afterwards. So they were like, all right, like, let's just take this car and keep on going. Right. You know, it's like, we'll kill somebody else that we see. You know, it's like... like yeah, they it's were... weird that they kind of stayed in Nebraska, though. Like, I mean... They never... They never got farther out you know because well i mean i mean 60 60 days in nebraska it's not like it's fucking uh there were a couple of teenagers they were literally a couple of teenagers that decided to be like at the world like you know and like at least go to vegas kill a bunch of people (laughs) um i just think um how many things though have been inspired uh, mostly in, like, uh, the pop culture sense just as much as, like, Bonnie right. and Clyde. I mean, a lot of the things that they have inspired... I mean, they it wasn't just Natural Born Killer, but they have... Um, there was uh, The Name of the Game was a series based on the events. Badlands in 1973. Right. California in 1993. Um, and there was even a film that came out in 2004 called Stark Weather. There was also uh, another couple of like cameos and TV shows and everything. Uh, like I think it was a Teenage Wasteland or something. Teenage they got an episode Wasteland. that was inspired by the two of them. Stephen King was strongly influenced by the these murders mm-hmm. that happened. He scrapbooked about this. I mean, he's a twisted he fuck, so, I mean... I mean, but, like, it's Stephen King, but, like, this is... 
an inspiration. This is was one of the stories that influenced a lot of the things that he did. Right. One thing that I thought was pretty interesting and that I uh, didn't know, but one of my uh, one of my favorite video games, Mario Kart. No, just kidding. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say Manhunt. Oh, oh, I love that game. Okay. The primary antagonist in that is based off of Charles Stark. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I never I knew did, that. I don't know, know that you know, either. I do not know the game. Oh, I love Manhunt. I love it. I love it. I love Manhunt and Manhunt 2. It's fucking... Oh, it's so badass here. Rachel, is it love like it. It's a really good stealth Tetris? game. I have it for my Wii. I mean, it's nothing new and fancy, but, like, it's still a fucking great game. All right, right. I'll, we'll play it. And, play and then you have to come and play we'll, we'll check it the out. VR. We'll play Resident Evil. Oh, my gosh. That's like... Oh, fuck yes. Oh, my God. I don't know how you would do it. I didn't even make fuck it to the yes. house. I, like, just was in the garden the whole time. <laughs> Mari's like, is there anything else I can look out here? I'm like, <laughs> um, can I, like, do some garden? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like fucked up if fucking you like walk you in, feel like you're in there and then there's like a body hanging and i was like i mean if i saw this in real life i'd be like oh i'm going back to my car and leaving and pretending like i didn't see anything oh and then they chase you too but yes side note yeah but um you know so that's that's the story of um Carly Ann and, and Charlie. Well, and the Stark weather, the Stark weather homicides. Yeah, it's that took place across all of Nebraska. Well, it definitely was, you know, one of like you said, like a Bonnie and Clyde mo uh, like story where, you know, just yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't like that much longer after, like right. you know. I mean, this happened, like, you know, before the 60s popped right. off. You know? And, um, you know, like, it's crazy, like, I will be posting this picture, but it's like she, like, how young she right. looks. You know? It's, uh, it's pretty interesting. But that's, um, those are a lethal... Lethal lovers there. Yeah, that's a le- that's a lethal, lethal dose, you know. We just handed these people a lethal dose of deadly killer couples right before one of the most romantic holidays in all of America. Right. So it's like, you know, love each other. But don't don't go on a killing spree, yeah, folks, Yeah, the only okay? person that you should love enough to kill is, like, maybe your child. But, like, obviously, I mean, like, love to protect a kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd kill somebody for my kid. <sighs> I'm totally going to be one of those moms that has to fight other moms because their kid, like, pushed my kid. And I'll be like, yo, do you want to fight me in the parking lot because your kid talking smack to my kid? <laughs> Come on, Teresa. I know you got that weave on. Just take it off. You got that 10-cent fucking weave down at the dollar store. 
I know a cheap pot potty city weed when yeah, I see right? one stupid potty bitch city yeah. weed. with your struggle with your... weed <laughs> that's a struggle weed yeah. Yeah. take your strawberry shortcake weave off and fight me <laughs> but uh I think I'm gonna like I'd say that's a good way yeah. for us to wrap it up I on think so too. I know I did say that I had another one but honestly you know what I think I'm gonna save that for another time from what we're talking about some of the dumbest killers <laughs> uh, we'll save that for our dumb killers special yeah I would love that we you should know. do it like remember um, on VH1 where they'd have all the like uh, B-list celebrities dumbest. and they would like <laughs> yeah. world's dumbest <laughs> we need to get Tanya world's dumbest yeah when we're gonna do our are are like our dumbest Killing. list, and I'm gonna save this other couple. For Do you that. think that we could get Tanya Harding? To yes, be on the I was show about to say we need Tanya host. Harding. It'd just be the four of us. <laughs> Yo, yeah, and everybody knows Tanya Harding. Get us in touch, you know. <laughs> get her here. We would love to do an episode with her. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. and Danny Bonaduce, we had to have him too. All right, I'm. I I don't want. Oh my god! Who's it? Oh my god! Who's the other one? Michael something. Oh yeah, I can't remember his name. You know who I'm talking about? He was like a queer yeah. spoke. Yo, let's get him. <laughs> let's get him on the show. Well, remember, love one another. And on that note, <laughs> bye. 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 See you next time. Hope you guys could handle the truth. Mm-hmm. And please remember, folks. I might have peed a little when I sneezed. Uh-oh.